1: All right, we're back for another edition of the Starting 502 Podcast. We are here for Season 2, Episode 1, and if you listened to the last episode, probably know that we are making some changes to the podcast. You probably recognize my voice. My name is Presley Meyer. Uh, I will continue to be one of the hosts of Starting 502 Podcast, but with Will Reddington departing, Nick Connor... Uh, will be joining us from now on, Nick. How we doing, buddy?
2: Doing great, man. Just had a good old first day of school, so I've got got the jitters out of the way, and uh, just in time to hear some great Louisville news. I'm fired up.
1: What an unbelievable day! Okay, so what is the weirdest thing to happen to you on the first day of school? Uh, you know, honestly,
2: some last year's class was a a bit a bit much, shall we say? Um, and and just having to look the other way while they were already, you know. Exposing themselves behaviorally was a little bit tough, but you know, I liked it. It was a good start. And then I, you know, checked my phone real quick. Saw we had a little breaking Louisville news. I'm I'm fired up. I'm ready to be here. Let's talk about basketball.
1: Let's do it, baby. Uh, so I mean, getting right into it, the news of the day. We've been wanting to record a podcast for probably like what two to three weeks, Nick, at least. Uh, and and the reason being, uh, we've been waiting for this bombshell essentially to drop. Uh, with Mason Faulkner of Western Carolina committing uh, to the University of Louisville. Uh, Nick and I have been kind of following along, trying to uh, from a distance, try to keep, keep up with, with uh, not, not necessarily the transfer portal, but just see, seeing who enrolls, seeing if we can, uh, we can kind of put the pieces together and figure out who Louisville's new transfer would be. I think we heard, heard a lot of rumors that it could be a couple different guys. Uh, Mason Faulkner's name kept coming up. This is a guy that, uh, that initially uh, was thought to maybe have been committing to Louisville back in March. Like, I remember I wrote an article back in March uh, ready for his commitment when I believe Matt Jones, Kentucky sports radio came out and, and, you know, he likes to be the guy that that likes to break all the Louisville news and be that guy, which I guess if you have connections, why not? But um, yeah. So, so initially back in, in March, Matt Jones came out and said that Faulkner was coming to UofL. Uh not a huge surprise uh, because he is a Kentucky guy. Um, he is from about 80 miles South of U of L's campus. So, um, he ultimately ended up committing to Colorado. So I'm not sure I would, I'm interested to hear whenever they do bring Mason in, uh, he gets to speak with the media and everything, what the whole story was behind it. Uh, we know that he has a daughter who lives here and that's ultimately why he ended up decommitting from Colorado and coming to Louisville. Um, but, but as far as his fit with U of L, I know you've gotten a chance to, uh, kind of watch some of his tape, uh, you know, look at some of his background, check out some of his stats. What do you think about Mason Wagner? I,
2: I mean, I think immediately a guy who wants to play at Louisville from the area is a yes and a yes. I mean, yep. he is the third highest um, t- total point score coming in as a transfer at Louisville. I mean, that's, from, that's straight from Kelly Dickey's mouth. So we know that that that's a legit stat right there. The and team. I mean, we're talking about Luke Hancock. We're talking about, you know, all of the recent transfers as well. I mean, Luke Hancock had 600 points coming in. I would have never guessed that. But besides that, I mean, he's a dude that can score. He can get inside the lane he can get. He draws body contact. Dude dude, averaged six drawn fouls a game last year. I, that seems like an absolute absurd stat to me. He And he seems so much bigger than 6'1". And so I think wh- when you watch the tape, is he a guy that is lightning fast? Absolutely not. But is he a guy who has enough handles, who can create a shot? Absolutely. And all that I wanted for this team was depth. We're really young. We got eight new pieces we got to fit in. More depth, more depth. A guy who wants to play in the 502. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, so I, I took a look at this tweet while while you were here talking. And, and you're right, Kelly Dickey put out this tweet. At Real Card Game, if you don't follow him on Twitter, make sure you do. Uh, he's the best source for Louisville stats out there, I would say. So Carly Jones, unsurprisingly, scored the most points in his career coming into Louisville. And that's mostly due to the fact also that he played like three and a half years. Like he he was injured midway through, I think, his his senior year. So, and then Damian Lee, again, not surprising at all. Two guys who are going to have successful careers going forward. Damian Lee, obviously, has had great success with the Warriors. Mason Faulkner being third, going down the list, but being, being third to Carly Jones and Damian Lee is never a bad thing. 1,343 points scored in his career coming in. Uh, Mason Faulkner's game to me he has a lot of that Carly Jones in the sense that he doesn't have that blazing speed but he knows how to he's that veteran savvy knows how to draw contact uh, knows how to um, kind of get a defender on on their heels uh, a lot of his highlights are you know he him getting a defender up in his chest and he's able to kind of create some sep- separation and get a quick shot off or being able to you know draw a double team and kick something out or being able to get get to the bucket and either make a really tough finish, you know, challenge finish at the basket or draw a foul. So, like you said, I think six fouls per game last season, uh, which is which is unbelievable. Far as a fit with next year's team, uh, I think you you couldn't have come up with a better fourth guard, um, and that that's the biggest thing that stands out to me from the very beginning uh, when we found out that Louisville would officially have two scholarship openings because uh, Malik Williams's scholarship wouldn't count going into next season. And after Carly Jones left, uh, my initial thought, even before Louisville got, went out and got a big man, was that Louisville needed a guard. The main issue that Louisville had last year was we thought, oh, yeah, well, you know, they're pretty deep at guard. We thought that Charles Mendel was really going to be able to step it up. We thought that Josh Nickelberry was going to be the guy that he was in high school and that he was perceived to be coming in. And ultimately, those things didn't pan out. It was the Carly Jones and David Johnson show, and they were playing 38, 40 minutes a game night in, night out, night in and night out. And so not only um, was it an issue with, with depth, but it was also an issue with, you know, those guys are getting worn down. So even as good as Carly Jones was, even, you know, David Johnson being a second round draft pick, even as good as, as he was, that they're not ultimately going to be able to pr- perform up to the standard that, that is expected at Louisville because they're just, you, you can't be in, in the same physical condition. I mean, you look at Virginia at the end of the season is, is the perfect example. Virginia pulled their best two players out of the game and they went on like a 12-0 run uh, to, to take Louisville out at the end of the season. That was ultimately probably the dagger. Uh, that put Louisville out of the NCAA tournament. There, there are plenty of examples out there of of why having talented depth matters. The main thing is that Louisville has a fourth guard now um, that can provide a, a different dimension, even outside of, of the ability that he brings to the floor. Um, I think that's huge.
2: This is not Chris Mack's most talented team from a you know a few player standpoint. This may be his most talented team from top to bottom, and we got Ross McMaines in now pushing the tempo, pushing the pace. I mean, I think you're going to see 9, 10, 11 guys play a lot of minutes early in the season. Again, it's not going to be anybody who puts 30 up on you consistently. There's not a Jordan Warner on this team. There's not even a Carly Jones on this team. But there's enough dudes. We got some shooters on this team. And, you know, add Mason Faulkner to that list. Now, we do need to say, like a lot of these guys that we got before, he's from a very bad basketball team. And that's yeah. part of it, right? You average 17, 18 points a game on a very bad basketball team but if you do watch the tape he does have the aspects you need he does have the bounce he has the ability to get in the lane like you said get into somebody's chest he has all the tools now this this is a big case for me of does everybody buy into their role i think a lot of guys play 15 to 20 minutes is that good enough for everybody for 30 games if it is if it is the ceiling is the roof for this team
1: (laughs) i love i love that um, yeah. And I think you're right. And I think that when Jared West came in, you know, a lot of people are talking about, oh, well, Jared West, you know, he has the potential to start. He brings a lot of different dimensions to this team that maybe some of the other players don't. Um, you know, there's concern about Noah Locke, you know, being mostly a spot up shooter. Like, there's a lot of that concern out there. But I think that Jared West and Noah Locke came in knowing that they could potentially have to to uh, deal with having to play with Carly Jones on the roster as well. Um, so I, I think there's a little bit of that. Even with Mason Faulkner coming in, I think that those guys are pleased that they may not see the lion's share of the minutes, but they're going to be on a more successful basketball team and that's going to provide them better depth, make them a better team, and elevate their floor by having another solid guard on the team. So I don't think that this is an issue... Uh, necessarily where anybody's going to get upset about the number of minutes that they play, Look, especially looking at Jared West. I think that he might be the odd man out here. Like he might end up being that fourth guard just because I think that Noah Locke and either Faulkner um, or Ella Ellis is going to be end up being the other starter. So I, I think that Jared West would be the odd man out, but if, if, if you want there to be an odd man out, that that's the guy. He seems like a guy who's already come in and taken over a leadership role. He's a guy that was a leader at his previous uh, spot at Marshall. Um, so I, I have no issue with that. Uh, my question for you would be, what are your concerns with, with Mason Faulkner? Because my my main concern uh, would just be that the entire team has come in and they had this great, what, what appears from the outside to be a, a great summer camp season. Uh, they're kind of off for a little bit. They're going to have some downtime. I'm not sure if it's a dead period or what exactly the rules are, but I've definitely seen... Uh, You know, I saw Neil Locke is back in in Miami again training. Uh, I saw some of the guys, you know, are traveling back home. So I'm not sure how uh, Mason Faulkner is going to be coming and be able to assimilate himself when the rest of the team has already been together, working in a new system, uh, working under some new coaches. Uh, Do you have any concerns with that, or do you have any other concerns outside of that?
2: I mean, I think my main concern is the ankle. So we just had ankle surgery in early June that's why he's at Louisville. If he doesn't have ankle surgery, if the Colorado staff doesn't talk him into having ankle surgery, then he's probably not here. No, I mean, if he doesn't have ankle surgery, I don't think he's in Louisville, but he's, he's not fully healthy, right? They were talking about him maybe being 60, 70% healthy. If he played at Colorado, I'd like him hundred percent, you know, any way we can get him. But what, as far as I can tell, he's not, he's not healthy for at least till the end of this month, end of August. Maybe early September, like you said, it's a sort of dead period here as as school gets started here as football season, all the fall sports get going. I know they have a little bit of a break. I know Mac was talking about in that video in the fall when we come back for the fall. So obviously there's something going on there. But I mean, I think he's going to be behind. He has to be behind. I don't think he starts. I think anybody who says he starts right now is pure speculation. I also don't think we have any idea what the starting lineup is. And I've seen a lot. I mean, I was reading um, John Rothstein over at CBS today do his ACC breakdown in which he had level at seven, which I think is absolutely atrocious, but we can get there another day. You look at that. He had Jared West, Noah Locke, Williamson, Withers, Williams. Sure. But I think, I think, you know, I think, I think Williamson starts, I think weather starts and I think Williams starts. And then I think, you know, fill in any other two at the guard there. I, I would love to see what kind of competition comes from this. And, and I really like the upside of a guy has an off night. A guy gets in early foul trouble. We're not in a situation where we're sticking somebody in at the five spot like we have in years past who has no business playing 20, 25 minutes. But I, I also think it gives us gives us that ability. If a guy like Faulkner is struggling to catch up defensively, we don't have to give him 25, 30 minutes a night. And I think a guy like Jordan Wara could have gone pro a year earlier had he not had to play 30 minutes of defense at night. Oh, yeah. But he did. And he was gassed. And he hands on hips, standing too high, not getting down. You know, I mean, all those things that they talked about, you know, who are you going to guard in the NBA? And now he's he's showing you he's a spot up guy. He's a he's a in, in spots in spot minutes, you know, in the he's rotation. Like he's he's a situational guy and dude's an absolute shooter. But again, I think this gives you the, the opportunity if Jared West is not having his best game, if Noah Locke's not locking it down defensively, whatever it is, you got another guy. We have more depth. I think it just gives you way more opportunity.
1: I always go back to when I when I look at a team that I think can make a deep run, it starts with the guard play, right? And if you look, if you go back and look at Louisville it, in in my lifetime, Louisville's best teams that made the deepest runs, obviously, you look at 2013. Uh, you have uh, obviously Steven Smith, Kevin Ware coming off off the bench. Like there's a there's a ton of depth there. Tim Henderson uh, provided mm-hmm. really solid depth. Sosa, Smith, McGee, and Knowles in 2009. Uh, I think that it's hard to beat a, a backcourt like that. I know it's you know not not great to talk about Andre McGee around here anymore. If you look at a backcourt from that sort of mold, that's what I see this kind, this backcourt kind of being. I think that some nights like that 2009 team, you'd have Sosa and McGee uh, being the guys. Other times, they needed those quote unquote microwave guys come off the bench. Uh, and, and Knowles and, and S- or who was it? Knowles and Sosa, Sosa, I believe, came off the bench, right? Mm-hmm. right here. Mm-hmm. So so when you look at when you look at a, a lineup like that, where like you said, there's a lot of versatility. I don't think it matters who starts. I think it matters who finishes the game, and, and that's what you need when when you want to make a deep postseason run. Uh, you look at Baylor last season; they kind of played a little bit of pos- positionless basketball, and they had three or four guys who could handle the ball, distribute, but also were solid scoring guards, and they could all defend really well. Um, so, and may, and
2: maybe two guys that are going to be NBA players. Maybe that's, so, I mean, that's what it was. That's college basketball right there. That's Scott drew, you know, like that, that is how this Louisville team is going to have to win. I mean, we're not going to win with Carly Jones, you know I mean? And had Carly come back, I think we're having a completely co- different conversation because I don't think Carly would have had to play 35, 38 minutes. Mm-hmm. But again, even you saw that in the losses last year, Carly had to play 37 minutes. If Carly plays 32 minutes, they win three or four of those games.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that is, I think that's, that's the whole concern that I had. And I think that's a good concern that the coaching staff addressed in the off season. And I think that any notion that they weren't going to try to find somebody uh, and they weren't going to try to develop more depth was, you know, that was them kind of putting up smoke screens a little bit. Um, in my eyes, I always thought that there was going to be that fourth guard because I just, I don't see, I just don't see his team surviving, of a 40 game schedule, a 35 game schedule uh, with, with just three guards on the team. And yes, I know that, that maybe like a Samuel Williamson uh, has, has the ability to to uh, kind of pop in at the two spot a little bit, or I know that they could do something where they, you know, rolled three guards out there, say, if there was an injury on, on the front line. But um, now I think you have a complete package. You have a two deep, like, almost like a football roster, you know, you have a two deep at each position. And, and on top of that, you have, you know, probably seven or eight guys who can truly vie for a starting spot. And that's not something that they had last season. I think last season there were seven or eight guys who could play, period. I definitely am excited to see where things go. Uh, like we said, we, we don't really want to get too deep into the whole ins and outs of of, of what of the roster construct because we want to get in, into that as the offseason progresses, essentially. Um, but what I'm seeing right now, I like based on the way that last season ended. Uh, Chris Mack obviously very publicly got rid of uh, of two of his coaches who were close friends, uh, went out and picked up a guy who he'd never met before, somebody who's going to come in and make him uncomfortable, somebody who's going to come in and s- stir things up. And he brought up a guy in Cleo Finnell, uh, who who is is the guy that the players love. Um, he's a guy who's already seems like he's really hit the ground running on the recruiting trail. That in my book is two wins, and then you bring in eight new guys. So last season doesn't end successfully, you know there are some tough conversations had, uh, and we'll get into that here in a second about how things are kind of coming out of the way that things went in this off season. Ultimately, Chris Mack went out and did his job. You know he gets paid whatever four million dollars a year to, to win basketball games and making the NCAA tournament is part of that. I don't think that he's necessarily on the hot seat. I know there's a lot of different there's a lot of, there's a lot of different reasons why last season went the way that it went with COVID. Uh, There's a lot of reasons why the season before went the way it went. You know, it's been kind of an unfair opportunity for Mac thus far, but I definitely uh, think that what he did in the offseason was what, what needed to be done. I think that Louisville has brought in eight new players, all of whom, have a very legitimate chance of seeing solid playing time. And that's a rarity in college basketball. You know, if you look at some of the more successful programs outside of maybe Duke and Kentucky, most of, these, most of these teams, like a Baylor last year, are developing players. They're bringing players in who will eventually down the road have the chance to, to earn playing time. And now you have a roster of 12, 13, 14 guys who can legitimately have a chance of earning playing time. And I think that's huge.
2: Yeah, I mean, anytime there's not I think there's not a massive drop off and there's not a clear team A, team B on your roster, you're going to benefit, right? You're you're probably going to lose a few guys in practice because you're going after it. I mean, I would rather lose a guy because, you know, from a bum foot or something because we were, you know, getting after it in a rebounding drill or something. But, I mean, anytime you have competition, anytime you have that, you know, if going to football, like the ability to try to say it's a QB controversy, right? Really to just drive your number one guy. Like, I I don't think it's going to hurt. And, you know, there's a lot of Chris McHate out there and I don't think a lot of it is justified. As you said, um, this is the show me year though. This is, you've gone out there, you got the team, you've got a team that looks a lot more like those Xavier teams that made deep runs. Mm-hmm. You know, they're kind of, they're long in spots. They're deep. I think they're going to defend. Okay. And I think they're going to get up and down the floor. I mean, I want to see a, a completely revolutionized offense. I think we're going to see that with Ross McMaines. I mean, He's doing everything you can think of. And let's not forget Ross McMain's last week in the gym with Donovan Mitchell. And it did not look like, maybe I'm wrong, pictures I saw didn't look like they were just getting shots up. It looked like Donovan Mitchell came to get some work in. Right. And if he came to get work in with Ross McMaines, whose resume speaks for itself, that tells you all you need to know. He may have got a text from a player or a coach that said, hey, you need to come in and, and let this guy work on your game too. I mean, I, I, think, I think there's so much opportunity here. But I think you got to trust the process. I do think Chris Mack is a long game here. This program, just say it as it is. It's not where it needs to be. But also, when he took the job, it's not where it was supposed to be with everything going on with the NCAA, everything going on behind the scenes. There's a lot here. There's a lot more than just winning basketball games. There's a culture that's got to continue to change. But I would be shocked if he doesn't do it this
1: year. It's well said, Nick. And just to pivot just a little bit, we hinted at the fact uh, that a little bit is coming out about Um, The way that the offseason is gone, this is coming out not in a way that anybody would have expected, I guess. But with the Dino Gaudio um, extortion case, Uh, this is a federal case, which means that it's going to be out in the open in the public um, for all of us to see. Dino Gaudio and his lawyers conjured up um, some, I guess you would say, some not excuses, but kind of trying to just soften the blow, just a little bit of the extortion, I guess, (laughs) if you want to say that, like Dino Gaudio and his lawyers kind of got together. He wanted to tell his side of the story and and had to, I'm not exactly sure what stage this is in in, in the lawsuit, but basically what what had come out initially was um, Louisville had to report Dino Gaudio's attempted extortion because he wanted to, you know, be paid a salary for, I I can't remember, X amount of time threatening um, with all different sorts of, you know, recruiting violations and that sort of thing. Uh, Louisville basically had to say, dude, shut up. Uh, You're making a huge mistake. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. Anyways, it comes down the line that Gaudio is saying that Louisville is committed uh, recruiting violations by putting out some sort of recruiting tapes that are supposed to be illegal might have had Kristen Cunningham and Spike Albrecht, uh, who were some grad assistants in practice, practicing with them. During a season when that kind of stuff was pretty lax and, and some of the rules were eased because of COVID, uh, So I'm not really sure where he's going with that. Uh, but the big thing that came out, the big kind of hull of blue uh, over the last week has been over John Calipari, writing him a letter of recommendation, and then Quince Lozinski's dad. Uh, wrote him a letter of recommendation, which I thought was pretty interesting because Quinn Sosinski is now, of course, playing for Rick Pitino at Iona. So through all this drama, um, we're kind of learning, like, Dino is basically trying to say, like, oh, you know, well, uh, um, I was just trying to do what was best for the players. I extorted you, but I was trying to do what was best for the players, right? So, (laughs) so... Essentially, my question for you, Nick, would be who is coming out, you know, on, on the wrong side of this? Does it still nationally or even locally look, look like it's more of a Chris Mack issue? Um, or is, does Louisville kind of come out on the good side of things here? Or is any attention negative attention? I don't know. What what, what is your overall takeaway from this?
2: I mean, I think anything Dino related at this point is not good. I don't think this is not an all press is good press situation. The, the Calipari letter, I was just going back and reading a little bit of it. I mean, he said he accept, he's accepting responsibility for his mistakes. He's not. He hasn't owned up to it. He's playing the I mean, this is, this is my fourth grade classroom right here, Presley. I mean, this is, well, did you know what he was doing while this was going on? I mean, right. and, and like you said, if, if, if Spike and CC were practicing, it was probably because the other half of the team was quarantined for the third time in the year. And honestly, Mac probably ran that by somebody. I would surely hope somebody did. But even if, I mean, again, it's one of those getting to the argument of doesn't matter big picture NCAA wise. No, they don't care. I don't think they will. They got enough on us as it is. At least they think they do. But all that to say, let Dino go. I would say at this point, let him blow smoke. Let him do whatever he wants. Anything to answer your question, anything right now is bad press for Chris Mack until we win. It's that simple. Yeah. Anything that anybody says is bad press. And so yes, for a man who was respected, you know, in, in the media, respected as a coach, come out and and you know, really flame try to flame you, it's not going to look good. But I think the best thing Chris Mack can do is keep his mouth shut. Just not let his lawyers do the work, let the university do the work, as many people said several months ago. Your first call is not the FBI if you committed an, an NCAA violation. Enough right. said.
1: Right. Absolutely. And and the last thing I'll say to this, because I think that this is a conversation that you could have for 10 minutes or three hours. Like it's just something, you know, there's so many different uh, avenues that you can take and kind of issues that led to this, that you can explore. Uh, He brought up stuff about, you know, disagreeing about the way that you should operate during COVID. And I'm not sure who was on the more relaxed side of things. I'm not really sure what he was indicating there. Overall, I think that if Chris Mack comes out and he made these changes, which, which Dino Gaudio is trying to say, you know, he was standing up for the kids and, you know, you shouldn't remove Quinn Susinski scholarship or Josh Nickleberry or whoever it was that, that Louisville was kind of, you know, Uh, distancing itself from and basically saying like, look, hey, you need to explore other avenues. If all of that happened and Louisville brought in Mason Faulkner and Louisville brought in uh, Noah Locke and Louisville brought in Matt Cross and Louisville brought in, you know, Sidney Curry, Uh, if all of that happens and then Louisville goes on a run in the NCAA tournament, nobody's going to care about that down the line. Dino Gaudio is going to look like a moron. Basically, Dino Gaudio is banking on, on the fact that he thinks that Louisville's not going to be successful next season by saying that. To me, I feel like that's going to come back and bite him in the butt. Right now, yes, Louisville looks dumb for this even getting out into the public 100%. The way that everything was handled. Um, obviously, we saw down the road the way that John Calipari was able to handle things. He was able to get his coaches some other coaching gigs before it kind of came out that things were going a- awry, and he was and he he was getting rid of the current coaching staff. It, it, it's it's not a good look, especially given everything that's that's gone on at U of L over the last five years. Like it just seems like we can never get anything to go right. But with that being said, Louisville is just stockpiling right now. Essentially, Louisville is just continuing to you know, try to make the right moves to get the best coaches, the best players, uh, put them in the best position to win. Now they just have to go out and perform. Uh, we have, I don't know, 80, 85 days, something like that until the season starts. Uh, we're going to learn a lot between now and then. We're going to learn where Mason Faulkner fits with this team. We're going to learn where, you know, a, a lot of, you know, the Jared West, the Curries, Currys, how, how is this team going to mesh? How What are the minutes going to look like? Who is performing better in practice, that sort of stuff. We're going to get into all that. It's going to be an exciting off season, but ultimately, uh, like you said, you know, it's what's going to matter most is, you know, what is it? Six, seven months from now, how is Louisville performing? And I think this will all be a distant memory if things turn out the way that we think that they could. Uh, And I I think that's, that's really positive news for UofL. And ultimately, uh, if you're listening to this, I I think that landing Mason Faulkner, um, that's a really good, really good day that could ultimately be celebrated 10 months from now. So uh, I'm excited. Any final words for the listeners for, for today, Nick?
2: I was going to say it's a good day. It's a good day to be a Cardinal. It's a good day to look forward to what's coming in the basketball program. I would say I'm listening. I got my ear to the ground waiting to see if the national media starts to change their tune on what Louisville's going to look like here in a couple months. I think if you start to see those pieces fall in line, as you said, as we get more information, that's when I'm going to truly get really excited. It's easy to get caught up in the local buzz. But if those national guys start picking it up, we start hearing some more things from other coaches, other places.
1: Watch out for the Louisville Cardinals. Yep, absolutely. You could hear a John Rothstein or a Pat Forty or one of those guys gets invited to, to a practice, and the next thing you know, Louisville's getting all kind of preseason buzz. That's how things work around here. Uh, you, you don't have to look much further to the to the football side of things. Uh, a month ago, we were saying that you know we hope that Louisville makes a bowl game, and now there's all these grandiose predictions, uh, hearing about how great all the players are doing in practice, and you know. That's how the offseason works, right? And we're going to be here to get hyped up about it uh, along the way. Um, Hopefully, we will be back with some more good news uh, on, on the next episode. But Nick, it's been fun.
2: Let's do it again. Absolutely. Go Cards.